Somebody fight a battle tonight and put the devil where he belongs while you're clapping your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Woo. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. It feels good in the house on a Tuesday night. Feels like somebody's going to leave here filled with the Holy Ghost. Speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Psalms chapter 137. Um, this is a very familiar psalm. However, it is not a psalm that you would read uh, when you think of revival. But I do want you to at least give me a little time tonight to explain this at length. Give honor tonight to the wonderful ministry of this church. I love and appreciate so much. Give honor to every saint of God uh, that is here tonight and say, well, I don't know what, what's going on in this church. Just stick around a little bit. You'll figure it out. And uh, something will get a hold of you, as the song says. So, uh, I just believe tonight, somebody that came in, you've been carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, but you're going to leave light here tonight. In Jesus' name. And uh, I, know, I know where I'm at. I know what I feel. And it's no, it's no secret that the spirits, the strong man of the Northwest, the spirit of depression and oppression. Uh, but I'm just telling you, I feel like that thing's backing up tonight. I feel like somebody made some, some declarations last night, and that's going to carry over into tonight. And you're just, you're just going to keep getting better and better and better and better until Jesus comes. You're going to walk in victory. How many going to walk in victory with me? Thank you, all seven of you. What about the rest of you? Do you want to walk in victory tonight? Amen, amen. Psalms chapter 137, verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away, captive required of us a song. They that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And the picture here is bleak and dream. As they sing here in the book of Psalms, verse chapter or chapter 137, verse 4, probably one of the most dark pictures in Scripture as they say, How shall we sing the Lord's song? in a strange land. Well, that being said, again, tonight, I, I would that you would let me uh, completely explain myself uh, before you make too many judgments on the direction that this service is going. But I want to preach to us tonight on this thought, melody in the madness. A melody in the madness. And would you help me right now by lifting your hands to heaven? And ask the Lord, would you lift your voice and pray with me? God, we need you. God, we don't just need you, but we want you. We want you to come in this house. We want you to make a way. God, we want you to heal. We want you to show up in a way that only you can do. God, we want you to do miracles, signs, and wonders in this house. 
God, you said they would follow them that we be, that believe. We, we believe you tonight, God. We believe that you're the miracle worker. We believe that you're a promise keeper and you're a way maker. God, we believe that you're still a healer and a deliverer. God, you're still the one that opens doors that no man can close. We believe tonight, God, that you're going to do something miraculous in this house. Come on. If you really believe it, put your hands together one more time and give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. 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 Hey. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Sit down if you go help me preach. Keep standing if you're not. <laughs> Most here have probably heard the psalm preached from on more than one occasion. But I will say, even myself, I am included in this most of the time because there is so much preaching here, we don't preach the whole story. And so tonight, I'm not going to spend much time preaching the front side of the story because most of us here know it, but I will just give you a quick backdrop and that is undoubtedly, it's somber, it's dark. Again, it's not a typical text that you think about when you think about revival, when you think about breakthrough, when you think about God doing big stuff. Psalms 137 is not where your mind goes. As a matter of fact, don't read this psalm if you're depressed. <laughs> God's people are talking here about the moment that they have decided to hang their harps upon the willows and their songs have been silenced. It's debatable who has wrote the song. Some say it is written by one of the children of Judah as they have returned to Jerusalem. Some say it was Jeremiah who wrote it under the spirit of David. But regardless of who wrote it, it is important to note here that God's people have not been exiled for no reason. They are in Babylon, God's people have not been uh, exiled because of some kind of cruel game that God is playing. But God's people have went after false gods and how unfortunate it is that uh, when they began to whore after false gods to use the King James vernacular, God allows them to go into captivity. God allows them to be brought into bondage. And this is the picture here. As God's people have decided to worship Baal and Moloch and Chemosh and Dagon and so many other gods of the Old Testament, God said, I'll fix you. You're going to Babylon. And so, unfortunately, there is a group here that were good people. I would even call them worshipers that had to go along for the ride. Now, let me just tell you something. This ain't fair. Am I by myself when I read the Bible sometimes and say, that ain't fair? Or am I by myself when I go through stuff sometimes and say, that ain't fair? Woo, I'm feeling my help now. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. This ain't fair, Sister Mayo. These are worshipers. But they end up in Babylon just like the knuckleheads. Dancers, shouters, aisle runners. And they ended up in the same captivity that the idolaters did. That's not fair. 
Psalms 137 paints a grim picture as the people that are worshipers, that are outrunners, have said, we don't even know how to worship anymore, simply put. And so they have no harp in their hands and they are weeping. And towards the end of the psalm, they are asking for the destruction of the enemies of God's people. I mean, it gets pretty grim. They're saying stuff like God bashing the heads of their babies. That's the, that's the language of the Israelites in Psalms 137 because they don't feel like God's being fair to them. And so they're just praying, God, would you kill them and kill every last one of them? We don't want to see any more Babylons. We don't want to, uh, Babylonians. We don't want to live in Babylon anymore. We don't want to go through this anymore. To be honest, I do not know who it is that is writing this. But what we do know is they have been removed from the temple and they are being forced to entertain the deity of Babylon. What we do know is that that isn't enough. Some of their own brethren are jumping in and they are cheering them. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. This is a mass time of, of chaos and confusion for the worshipers of God. Why must we suffer when we didn't sin? Why must we be exiled when we stayed in the temple with a harp in our hand, giving God praise? These are the questions that even now somebody in this church tonight may be asking, why must we suffer with everyone else when we didn't do what everybody else did? But Nita, I remind you tonight that this is a generation that has not seen the parting of the Red Sea. This is a generation that has not seen the manna in the wilderness. Bishop Mayo, they were not there when Jericho's walls fell. They were not there through so many things that God did that were miraculous as he brought them into the promised land. They were not there to follow Moses and they weren't even there to follow Joshua. These people are a generation that are a lot like you and I that got the revelation of the power of an almighty God in the house of God. They didn't get it in the wilderness. They didn't get it following Moses. They didn't get it following Joshua. They didn't get the revelation of how big God was standing at the rubble of Jericho's walls. They didn't get the revelation of how big God was when they saw, uh, when they saw Goliath fall. No, no, no. We're way beyond that. These are people that got the revelation by coming to church and hearing the stories preached to them of how their elders had seen God do mighty, mighty things and that like, again, most people, they got their revelation there. And now, here's the catch. Now the place of revelation is gone. They're not a church anymore. Now the place that they got the revelation of how big God was and how strong God was, it's, they've been removed from that place. And so unfortunate it is, but there are some people in the camp of Israel while they're in Babylon, they begin to lose the revelation of how powerful God was simply because they were no longer in the place that they got the revelation. But can I tell you tonight on a Tuesday night that God never intended for the revelation to stay in a geographical location simply because God is not bound to a map. God is not just God in the church and not God at your work and not God at your school. But if he's God in the temple, he's God in Babylon too. If he's God in the temple, he's God at your job. If he's God in the temple, he's God in your home. If he's God in the temple, he's God while you're driving down the road 
road uh, in your car. I'm here to tell you tonight, uh, you don't need to let the revelation uh, of the mighty God in Christ stay uh, in the four walls of this building. Uh, there's not just enough Holy Ghost to keep you while you're in the temple. Uh, there's enough Holy Ghost uh, to keep you while you're in Babylon. Uh, there's enough Holy Ghost uh, to keep you while all hell's breaking loose. Uh, there's enough Holy Ghost uh, while you're surrounded by demons, uh, while you're surrounded by the enemy. Uh, there's still When I was a kid, we used to sing a song that said he's God on the platform and he's God at the back door. He's God in the amen corner and he's God all over this floor. They sang another verse that said he's God in California. He's God in Tennessee. He's God right here in Spokane, Washington, baby. And he's God all over me. He's not just God on Sunday and Monday. He's God everywhere you go. I'm trying to get somebody to get a revelation tonight uh, that God did not fill you to just keep you while you're at church. Uh, he filled you uh, with something that'll keep you in Babylon. Uh, he filled you uh, with something that'll keep you uh, through the depression, uh, through the chaos, uh, through a messed up world. I think, I think tonight that it's safe to say with everything that Pastor Mayo said a few moments ago, that I completely and totally concur. We are living in the last days. And because we are living in the last days, Brother Marks, we are living in a maddened world. I mean, let's just be honest. I'm a young man. I'm only 31 years old. But I never thought I'd see the things I see nowadays. I halfway live in airports. Let me tell you something about airports. The craziest people you'll ever meet are in airports. I Listen, I might get in trouble for saying this, but God just help me. I grew up that you got in trouble if you didn't say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir. I'm so confused. I'm scared to death. I'm about to get a whipping every time I say yeah. But I don't know what to say. Our world is mad. Our world is mixed up. Our world looks like what Babylon looked like when Israel showed up. And there might be somebody in this house tonight uh, that's saying, I'm living in a maddened world uh, and I'm getting ready to hang up my harp because uh, I don't have a reason to sing anymore. Before you put that harp up, let me finish preaching to you, honey. And just remember that God is still God. God is still on the throne. God is still all-powerful. All-power in heaven and earth belongs unto him. Hallelujah. I understand. I understand the, the political arena that we're living in today. And if I hear another political message, I think I'm going to throw up as I come to church and all I hear preachers preaching about is the state of our political world. I don't give two red cents about what our political world's doing because my Bible says uh, that the God I serve sets up kings uh, and he takes down kings. Uh, you can cripe and complain about who the president is uh, if you want to, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, I'm not a part of that kingdom. Uh, I'm a part of a kingdom uh, where there's a king uh, that reigns forever.
forever. There's a king that never comes up for re-election. There's a king that is eternal. He was before the beginning, and he'll be after the ending forever and evermore. God is still God. That's easy for you to say, preacher. You don't know how dark it is. You don't know how depressed I am. Oh, but in the name of Jesus, I punched that spirit of depression in the mouth. You don't know how long I've been living in this darkness. It's all right. Hang on to your heart for a little while. I got a feeling that by by the end of the night, you're going to be tuning that joker back up and getting ready to play another song. Say, well, I, I, I don't know how. Let me tell you how. While they were griping and complaining in Babylon, saying, I don't know if we can sing anymore, God sent a man. Woo! God sent a prophet. The prophet showed up. His name is Isaiah. And he prophesies for 15 chapters to the Babylonian captives. And in the picture, of that 15 chapters from chapter 40 to chapter 55. It is here in chapter 51 that we begin to read tonight because I don't have time to preach it from chapter 40 to chapter 55. But believe me, I could. He's prophesying to God's people that are in captivity. They have hung up their harps. They are weeping by the river. They have no more reasons to sing. And Isaiah I love this about Isaiah. There's something that's so interesting about him to me that I don't, again, I don't have time to explain it all. But just about with every prophetic word that Isaiah gives, it reaches in both directions. Isaiah always reaches into the past and to the future all at the same time. And so in Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 1, he says, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Now, I know the devil would love to convince you that everybody's going to hell in a handbasket while we're in Babylon. But when Isaiah showed up to start prophesying, he said, there's somebody here that loves righteousness. He said, now, I I know the devil would love to convince you that everybody's backsliding while we're having to go through this Babylonian captivity. And I know the devil wants you to to think uh, that nobody wants to live for God anymore. But Isaiah stepped to the pulpit and he said, hearken unto me, uh, ye that follow after righteousness uh, and ye that seek the Lord. You know what Isaiah was saying? Not everybody's backsliding. Not everybody's giving up. Not everybody's falling to depression. Come on, don't you listen to that lie of the devil that told you to go back to bed and pull the covers over your head and skip church on a Tuesday night because you're too depressed. Everybody else is fighting the depression. You might as well go ahead and give up now. Not everybody's throwing in the towel. You got a reason to live for God. So now that I have your attention, he that are... Seeking the Lord. Look unto the rock when she were hewn. And look unto the hole of the pit when she were digged. Do I have time to preach this, Brother Mayo? Do I, do I have time to go through this? He said, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to look at the rock from whence you were hewn. First of all, this is two portions. The first portion is this. Look at what I made you out of. 
You can talk about how you wasn't built for this, but God said, I cut you out of the rock. And if the rock did not has not been crushed at this point, uh, it will not be crushed. Well, what's the second part? That's the part that's worth shouting about. Because remember, they are in Babylon. They are in captivity. They are God's people. And when they first, the first time they go into captivity, we read about it in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 31 when Daniel begins to give uh, uh, the interpretation and the dream that the king Nebuchadnezzar had. He said, King, you saw a great image, and the image, uh, it, when it stood before you, it was it was terrible. The image was a fine, uh, the, it, the head was a fine gold, his breast, his arms of silver, his belly, his and, and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, uh, his feet part clay and part iron. And then he said, Thou sawest still that a stone was cut out with hands, uh, which smote the image upon its feet, and were cut of iron and clay, and break them into pieces. And in Isaiah chapter 51, God says to the people that are in Babylon, look unto the rock from whence you were hewn. He was telling God's people, I made you out of the thing that's going to take Babylon down. In the very beginning when you came into this captivity, I gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream that there was going to be a great stone that was going to be hewn out of a mountain and it was going to hit this image in the feet. And I want you to know, I made you out of the stuff that's going to take Babylon down. Let me preach that to Cornerstone. I made you out of the stuff that's going to break chains and destroy fetters in the Northwest. I know you want to give up, but I made you out of the stuff. You were built for this. You were built for this moment. I created you to be able to make it in this moment. I wish to God that Cornerstone Church would get a revelation of the power of God that's in you like the devil has that's what's in you. That's why he's fighting you so hard. That's why he's doing everything he can to try to put you in the corner because he knows that God made you out of the stuff that was going to tear this image down that's been built in the Northwest. He knows that inside of you is the very thing that's going to break the image into pieces that he's... I'm here to tell you right now, what are we doing in this revival? We're doing war. We're tearing down images. And there's going to be somebody that's going to come into this revival. You've been beat down, but lift up your head. God made you out of the stuff that can tear down kingdoms and strongholds. Somebody give him praise. I could quit, but I wasn't made to quit. I could backslide, but God didn't build me to backslide. God didn't build me out of the stuff that caves under pressure. God didn't build me out of the stuff that runs and hides when the devil says boo. Devil, if you're going to run me out of the Northwest, you're going to have to get a bigger bark because I ain't even a little bit scared because there's some people in this house that God has given them a purpose. And right now on a Tuesday night, they're going to start walking in that purpose and they're going to start tearing your image down. 
Brother Mayo, when I was, and, and I, I know this, I know this at, at a base level. I understand this. It's, it's a basic biblical principle, but there's more to it. I was praying today in my room, and, and when I started looking at what God was talking to me about tonight, I started praying, and God started talking to me, and he said that the issue the reason why this depression and this, this addiction is so strong here is because people worship it. In this area, they worship it. It's, it's holding them, but it's a God to them. It's an image with a head of gold and a chest of silver and legs of iron and feet of clay. But God sent, I don't think it's any accident, the name of this church is Cornerstone. God said, I built you out of the stuff that tears down images. Preacher, we got it. I want you to move on. I don't know if you really got it or not because some of you are still sitting there and the devil's sitting on your shoulder and you're still buying. I know what I'm feeling in the Holy Ghost right now. You're still buying into the lie that I'm preaching to everybody else but you. The devil is a liar. I'm preaching to you right now. You are called to tear down the image. You were called to make a difference. You were called to have revival. You were called to bring breakthrough. This ain't for the preacher to just show up and do. Baby, this is for you. It ain't just for the pastor. It's for you. And if that ain't enough to make you want to shout, he said, if you don't just look, look at what I brought, built you out of. He said, I want you to look at the rock from whence you were hewn. And when you get done with that, look at the pit from when she were digged. Right here, he is literally talking about the prison of, e of Egypt. And what he is talking to is people that are in bondage now, like they've been in bondage before. And simply put, Pastor Mayo, God was saying, look at what I made you out of, and look at what I brought you out of. If I made you out of what I made you out of was to work, then you just better understand that the place that I brought you from, I'm the same God with the same power, if I brought you out of Egypt, I can bring you out of Babylon. Can I preach to somebody right now that's on the verge of giving up? If God brought you out of addiction, if God brought you out of the bar room, if God brought you out of a dysfunctional family, he didn't bring you out to leave you in Babylon. He didn't bring you out to let you just sit on a pew and rot. He didn't bring you out to just leave you, but he brought you out before, and he will, he will, he will bring you out again. They started hanging their harps up. But Isaiah said, before you walk away from that harp, brother, you need to look at what God made you out of. And you need to look at where God brought you from. You, you need to think about every night that you laid awake and cried and said, God, I don't even know if you can hear me. And then in one moment at an altar in a Pentecostal church, God said, not only did I hear you, but I came to rescue you. 
You, 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 before you walk out them doors today, you need to think about every day that you woke up and suicide was sitting on your shoulder and trying to convince you to end it all. I'm, I'm preaching to somebody right now. You're right on the verge. You're almost about to walk out the door. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Look unto the pit from which you were digged. Look at where God brought you from. He's brought you this far. He's going to keep on keeping you. Isaiah was saying, I know the temple is destroyed. I know it don't look good. But let me jump to verse 3 because I ain't got time to preach. Verse 2. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. Woo! He will comfort all her waste places. And he will make her wilderness like Eden. And God help me, Jesus. I just got a word for somebody tonight. You've been in discomfort, but God's getting ready to make you comfortable. He said, I'm going to comfort Zion. You've been in Babylon, and you've been so discomfortable because everything's falling down around you, but you're getting ready to be comfortable. God's getting ready to turn around what the devil meant for evil. Hallelujah. Wilderness. It's going to be like Eden. Understand, Eden is where Adam failed in the beginning. When he was driven out, the purpose was keeping them. We can preach about his rebellion, but when, when God said, this is why you're getting kicked out, Adam, he said, lest he eats of the tree of life and he lives forever. That was God's issue with Adam still living in the garden. He said, he done ate of the tree of good and evil. He said, but I got to get him out of here because he sinned, yes. But the biggest deal is because if I don't let him, if I let him stay here, he's going to eat of the tree of life. It's in your Bible. I know Sunday school told you different, but that's what your Bible says. Eden was the place that man was cut off from eternal life. But here, Isaiah, again, he's, he's reaching into the past and he's reaching into the future all at the same time. And right here, he said, the Lord is going to comfort Zion and he's going to make your waste places and he's going to take that and he's going to make it like Eden. He's going to take the wilderness and you're going to wake up one day and it's going to look like Eden was the place where man was disconnected from eternal life. But in Matthew chapter 4, we see the Bible says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil and it was here that all of the, all of the earth was laid before him. All of temptation was put before him. And he looked at Satan himself and said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Give thee behind me Satan. Understand, it was in the it was in Eden where man was disconnected from eternal life. But it was in the wilderness where man was reconnected to eternal life. It was in that moment that he took dominion over hell itself. I know he did it on the cross, but before he ever got to the cross he looked the devil in the eye and said hey boy don't you forget who you are I don't, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God recognize who you're talking to I created you 
Don't think the devil didn't know who he was. Uh, scripture tells us uh, that the devil knew who he was. Uh, in the wilderness, uh, Isaiah said, boys, uh, I don't really understand this, uh, but there was something that happened in Eden. Uh, man was disconnected, uh, but there's something. String up your guitar, boys. Uh, get ready to play the songs uh, because there's going to be a blessing. Uh, there's going to be a reconnection, uh, and it's going to make the wilderness uh, look like Eden. And he says, then, is it all right if I just preach this tonight? Their desert is going to be like the garden of the Lord. The original text here literally says the fenced garden. Now, deserts, this, this word is literally sterile. And it's not just sterile because things can't grow there. Deserts in Bible time weren't just places that things couldn't grow. But deserts were places that you couldn't plant your crops because they were too easily accessed by the enemy. And when the time would come, they would come in and sow tares among the wheat. They would come in in many instances and burn the field. And so those kind of fields were considered desert places because you couldn't plant a crop there. Because your enemy would come against them. But God said, while you're in Babylon, listen, this is all why things are bad. This is all in captivity. Woo. This is all living under the era of depression. This is all, you couldn't lift your hands if you wanted to. We sat by the river and we wept. We hung our hearts on the willow. And God says, I'm going to make your desert like the fenced garden of the Lord. What does that mean? God's saying to these people that are in captivity, you've been planting seeds. And they haven't been able to come up because every time that it was harvest time, oh, I feel this, the devil would come in and he would take your harvest from you. He said, but this place is fixing a transition and your desert is going to become the fenced garden of the Lord. Let me tell you about the fenced garden of the Lord. Lay up for yourself treasures where moth and rust doth not corrupt and the thief cannot enter in and steal. That's the garden of the Lord, what God was telling these people. He was saying, look, you've been planting seeds and you haven't seen the harvest because every time you get ready to harvest the devil's standing there and he's taking your harvest from you he said but I'm getting ready to put a fence around the garden you've been planting and the devil's not going to come over my fence Am I telling you the truth? About a week ago, I text Pastor Mayo. I said, I don't know why, but I just had a vision. I seen a vision of your church planting dominion. Am I telling you the truth? I said, and God is sending me to Spokane, and we're going to protect those seeds of dominion that have been planted, and they're going to grow, and they're going to come up, and we're going to see miracles, signs, and wonder. I'm telling you what's happening right now. God is building a fence around this church that when the harvest time has came before you lost the harvest but we're not going to lose the harvest this time we're going to walk in the harvest because our garden is behind the fence of the Lord our garden is a garden that God is protecting 
Those missed Bible studies that you heard, those Bible studies you've been praying for and you've been asking for, and it seems like they're slipping through your fingers. God said you're getting ready to plant the seeds in a fence garden. Those family members that you've been praying for, and they said, I'm not coming to church. God said you're planting those seeds. It used to be in a desert, but now you're planting those seeds in the garden of the Lord. And when the devil stole it last time, he's not going to be able to steal it. I got a feeling, I got a feeling like a lost husband is fixing to make his way through the doors of Cornerstone Church. I, I got a feeling that a mama and daddy that walked out of the church and left a teenager standing in the youth group crying, saying, Mom and daddy don't go. They might have been backslided and slid for five years. But I got a feeling, young man, young lady, those seeds you've been planting after church on a Tuesday night, they've been in the desert before, but they're getting ready to come up. They're getting ready to come up because the Lord is building a fence around your seed that you planted. Joy. Somebody shout that. Joy. Gladness. I didn't say it. Isaiah said it. 51 and 3. Joy. Gladness shall be found therein. Remember, this is the same people that said, by the river, we wept. By the river, we hung up our harps. We stopped singing. But Isaiah said, he walked into Babylon. He prophesied for 11 chapters. <laughs> and he talks to people that are hanging up harps. And they quit singing their song. And he says, joy, gladness, and thanksgiving. And the voice. I'm about to have a come apart right now. The voice of a melody. You mean in Babylon? Preacher, don't you know we done hung our harps up? The same people. Same people. Same captivity. Same era. Same people. Go do your timeline. You'll find out I'm right. Same people. And he says, the voice of a, no, 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 preacher. We didn't turn the sound system off. I, I don't even know if my guitar has strings anymore. But there, there's more to this. Can I have like 15 more minutes? This 15. This word, melody, is the Hebrew word samar. There's two pictures here. One picture is this. A melody denotes a song. But it not only denotes the song, but it denotes in how it is sang. The root word samar to sing praise, but it is, it is implied that this form of praise is to pluck the strings. So there was two ways that you could write samar. In the Hebrew, it was with punctuation, and I don't have time to get into all the punctuation of the Hebrew. Just trust me tonight, and if you don't trust me, go study. So, so here, Brother Bass Player, I need you to help me real quick. This is one type of samar. 
it was it was soft and it was it was very beautiful and it was very yeah it was it's what we call finger style in today's world boy ain't that pretty that's pretty boy that's one samar but there's another samar help me out brother bass player do you hear the difference I mean, come on, don't. Do you hear the difference? So there's two ways it could be wrote. And quite literally, the musical term for this, if you go up there on that soundboard, I don't know if they still have them on these fancy new rigs, but when I was younger, they had a knob on there by the marks called attack. And this word samar has literally been translated in today's music terms as attack. So what God was saying to people, he was saying, I know you put your, I know you put your harp on the willows and you don't feel like singing anymore, but we're going to get right back where we was at last night and we're going to keep on pushing a little bit. But he said, I'm telling you, it's time to pull your guitar off of those harps uh, and tune that guitar up. Uh, and I want you to sing the song of a melody. Uh, there's the song uh, of a Samar uh, and it wasn't laid back and pretty uh, and it wasn't quite, uh, but but it was an attack that came out. Can you imagine what it looked like when the singers got together with the musicians and they said, we've been in Babylon, we've been in captivity, but God said that there was going to be an attack that came out in the form of a song. God said that there was going to be an attack that came out of our praise and out of our worship. The voice of a melody. Again, it's implied that they were plucking the strings. And the picture here is that God is going to reach down into Babylon. 2023 in Spokane. God is going to reach down into that depression. God is going to reach down into that addiction and he's going to pluck you up out of it and he's going to set your feet on a solid rock. I don't, you don't know, you, you, you don't know, preacher. I don't know how, I don't know how to praise him anymore. I've lost my praise. I've lost my worship. I've, my harp's been hanging up too long. Let me tell you something. Praise is kind of like riding a bicycle. Once you learn how to do it, you don't ever forget. You just got to get back on that bike, baby, and go to pedaling. I know you've been depressed for 10 years, but just get back out in the aisle. I know you've been depressed, but just get back out in the aisle and start leaping for joy. Get back out in the aisle and start dancing for your deliverance. Hey! Psalms 137. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How? How can we worship when we're in front of all of these idolaters? But Psalms 138, can you put that up there? I know I didn't send you that verse. I apologize. But Psalms 138, Brother Earls, I understand that man disconnected the chapters and they, they arranged, but I believe that that was ordained by God just like the words that were written. It's just my belief. You don't have to agree with me. That's fine. It's not the first time you've been wrong. Some of y'all catch that tomorrow. 
Psalms chapter 137. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We're hanging up our harps. We're not going to sing anymore. But in Psalms 138, it's the Psalm of David. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before, you notice, his little G gods. Before the gods. Will I sing? Psalms 137 there said we're in Babylon we can't shout because they worship Baal and they worship Dagon and they worship Chemosh and they worship every other god under the sun but David walks in in Psalms 138 and said if you don't want to praise him watch me praise him I'll praise him in the face of depression I'll praise him in the face of addiction I'll praise him in the face of an I'll praise him in the face of anxiety I'll praise him in the face of a failing economy I'll praise him in the face of everybody saying I don't want nothing to do with church David said baby you just watch me I'm going to praise him I'm going to magnify him I watch this I will worship toward thy holy temple I told y'all 15 minutes, 15 minutes ago. Can I have like three more? I'm on borrowed time, I know. I got a disease, Sister Mayo. The longer I preach, the longer I preach. He said, I will turn, I will turn towards the holy temple. Let me ask you a question. How in the world does David know where the temple's at at all times? How does David always know which direction the temple is? David had a built-in Holy Ghost Siri. Siri always knows how to get you home. Starting route to home. Baby, I got a long way to go. 2,301 miles. 33 hours. Oh, Jesus. There was a GPS system that God put inside of David. I said, David, you might be on the backside of a desert. You might be running from your own kids that are trying to kill you. You might be running from Saul. You might be cooped up in the cave of Adullam. But David said, there's something inside of me that knows where the holy temple is. There's something inside of me that knows where my help comes from. That They're worshiping they quit worshiping because they didn't know where the temple was at. They said, you took us out of the temple. How do you expect us to worship when we can't go to church? And David said, I might not be at church, but I'll turn my face towards the church, and I'll start dancing. I might not be at church, but I'll turn my face towards the hell. I will lift my eyes unto the hills from where my help comes from. My help coming from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There's a melody even in a bad world. They couldn't hear. They couldn't hear. They had hung up their harps and no longer could they sing the Lord's song. But David said, 
before the gods. I'll turn my face towards the holy temple. David simply put it like this in Psalms chapter 150. He said, sometimes you ain't got time to pack up the band. You don't have time. Listen, when you're running from your life, you don't have time for keyboards and organs and drums and high-sounding cymbals. He says, when you're running from your life, you don't have time to call all the musicians and say, hey, meet me at my job. That devil's fighting me today. That's when you just got to understand. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Praise ye of somebody that's been depressed but made up in their mind on a Tuesday night. I'm not going to live in the depression and not worship. If I'm going to be depressed, I might as well shout while I'm depressed. If I'm going to be oppressed, I might as well dance while I'm... There's a melody in a mad world and it's the song of a saint that said I would before the little G-Gods will I pray. We got one time, one more scripture, and I'm done, for real. Look at somebody and tell them he ain't lying this time. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen. This is where we're living, Bishop. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's the sound of a melody. That, that's, that's the sound of somebody that said, I'm not staying here where I'm at, but I'm getting raptured out of this. I'm here to tell you tonight, you're getting ready to experience a mini rapture. God's pulling you up out of whatever it is that's been holding you back. God's pulling you up. Somebody ought to pull your harp. Somebody ought to pull your harp off the shelf and give God praise. Somebody ought to pull your harp off the willows and start singing your song. It's a melody in the madness. My fear, I will turn into praise. Shake off despair as I sing out your name. 